As we celebrate this weekend, we call it Memorial Day weekend, I, I'm always struck at the fact that we struggle today in, in our modern world to remember, I mean to really remember the things that matter most to us. We have so many distractions, we have so many things going on, uh, that remembering is a real challenge. We know that Memorial Day weekend isn't about having people over for uh, steaks and, and grilled vegetables, right? That, that as great as that is, there's a deeper memory that we're tapping into in our nation's history. A memory that touches all of the families in this room in different ways. And memories are only powerful in our lives when we are willing to open those memories up and re-experience them. The early church understood this, that it wasn't enough to just talk about the Last Supper and the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to give, the light of the world, right? Jesus, the, the, the Word of God, Jesus, the Lamb of God, Jesus, our Savior and our friend. That when he gathers together with his disciples and they are trying their best to, to re-experience the memory of the Passover, he says, we're making new memories now. And, and the early church, as time passes, understands the importance of that meal, of gathering together as God's people, not just to talk about what Jesus did, to talk about, to think about who Jesus was, but to declare who we believe Jesus still is in our lives. That he wasn't just the light in the darkness a long time ago, but that he is a light that still shines. If you've got your Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 2. We'll start reading together in verse 7. John writes, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the message you heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light already shines. The one who claims to be in the light while hating a brother or sister is in the darkness even now. The person loving a brother and sister stays in the light, and there is nothing in the light that causes a person to stumble. But the person who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and lives in the darkness and doesn't know where to go because the darkness blinds the eyes. Little children, I'm writing to you because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus' name. Parents, I'm writing to you because you have known the one who has existed from the beginning. Young people, I am writing to you because you have conquered the evil one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was, was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. 
I've heard these words from Genesis chapter 1 a thousand times. I know these words deep in my heart. They, they communicate, they declare a sacred truth. They feel like home. But to be honest, in some ways, they feel like they're a little too close to home. Because when I go back to Genesis 1, and I understand at some level it's supposed to be a distant memory that I'm trying to re-experience, I find it doesn't feel like a distant memory for our world to be formless and chaotic, a mess, underwater. Right? That, that it doesn't feel like it was thousands and thousands of years ago when, when Jesus in his relationship with his disciples, was having to help them wrestle with the fact that, that maybe there's still darkness that's threatening to overcome us, that's threatening to undo us. None of that feels like I have to, to go very far back in my memory to understand that there is great need for God to step into our world and declare once again, let there be light. Right? Let, let there be light for all of the people who suffer abuse in any way. Let there be light for all of the people whose, whose lives are being torn apart by addiction. Let there be light for those families that cannot manage to stay together. Let there be light. For all of the children who don't have a place to call home. Let there be light to guide us. A light to help us step into a future, a shared future that is blessed and good. Not just for, for some of us, but for all of us. Let there be light. In the midst of our darkness, let there be light. The darkness, it's not just something we remember. It's something we're still wrestling with. But we read these words from 1 John, and we hear this declaration. He says that he knows what it feels like. And yet even now the darkness is passing away, and the true light already shines. He's saying this not only because it's true, he's saying this because it's a difficult truth for us to always hold on to. And I don't know about you, but when I... I just have gotten to the place that when I consider our world, my first reaction is to shake my head. I, at some point, I've always been someone who really wants to stay up on the news and, and watch the news every night. And I have gotten, in the last few years, I've gotten to the place where I don't want the news on in my home. And I know it's because of all the decisions that news editors make and the stories that they end up deciding to highlight. But, but the reality is... I just don't find very much in the evening news anymore to give me hope. That's not a new thing. The people that, that John is writing to in 1 John, they're, they're having a hard time turning on the news themselves. They don't want to hear about it. They, they don't want to think about it. And yet he says, there's a reason that when we look into our world, what we mostly see is darkness. And it's not because there's no light. We mostly see darkness because that's mostly where we're looking. Right? That, that abuse and addiction and divorce and homelessness 
They are a darkness that people in our world have to face and struggle through. But abuse and addiction and divorce and homelessness, and we could add to that list, right? Those things never get to tell the whole story. They're never all there is. Because even in the darkest of situations, we as as God's people believe that, that the warm light of God's love is trying to find a way to break through. And for some reason, we keep resisting it. Did you hear when when Keith read from the Gospel of John, it says the light was in the world and the light came to his own people, but they didn't see it, they didn't recognize it, they didn't welcome it? It wasn't that the light isn't isn't here. It wasn't that the, the light wasn't as close to them as Jesus was. But they were blind to it. They weren't looking for it. They weren't ready for it. And because of that, they missed it. But the struggle is, I think as easy as we find it to see darkness out there in the world, it's another thing to admit that we also struggle with darkness in here. Right? John's wrestling with that in the passage that we read. He says, do you understand that the darkness is passing away and the true light's already there? But then he says, but there's a darkness in some of you. And the darkness can take all kinds of different forms, but, but the form that, that John really wants us to pay attention to, and maybe it's, it's what all the forms of darkness lead us to, it's hatred for other people. Now, what's difficult with this is we don't talk like this about our feelings. We, we even teach our children not to talk like this about their feelings. Right? Lauren and I, in our home, if one of our girls says, well, I hate Before they even finish the statement, one of us will interrupt them and we say, now, we don't talk like that. Right? We don't hate. Say you don't like. Okay? Say say you don't enjoy. We, We give them all kinds of synonyms to stop them from saying, I hate. And it's because we have seen the destructive power of hatred. Right? We know how how dark it gets when people treat one another that way. And yet, John wants us to understand that the way we let God's light inside of our heart defeat the darkness that's in our heart is we speak the truth. Now, for John, truth never comes to us on its own. It's always partnered with grace. It's always grace and truth. But, But we've got to find a way to tell the truth about our feelings and how we see other people. And I think if John was going to define hatred, he would say, hatred is the joy you feel when someone else suffers. The pleasure that you experience when someone else goes through pain. Now that sounds pretty harsh too. And I don't think most of us would say, yeah, I feel joy when someone else hurts in this way, or I have pleasure when someone else goes through this kind of pain, unless we're talking about sports. Right, like, like, let's just be theoretical about this. I feel joy anytime the San Francisco Giants win a game. I feel a special kind of joy when they beat the Dodgers. And it's because the Dodgers lose. It's not just that the Giants win, it's that the Dodgers lose. And I can picture Dodger fans weeping. Okay, now, we talk like that about sports, because we're playing around. I'm nervous, though, that if we were really honest 
about the way we move through the world, there are entire groups of people who are on the wrong teams, who belong to the wrong community, who talk the wrong ways or believe different things than we do, and if we're not careful, when they suffer, we might find that we experience some kind of joy, that we feel better, or maybe we feel more right, more justified. And John's saying, if you see another person, a brother or sister, a child of God that way, you're slipping into hatred. I think it's actually a little more subtle than that. I don't think it's just the joy you might feel when someone else suffers. I think it's, it's the pain you don't feel when someone else suffers. The numbness, the distance, the disconnectedness. That, that we look into our world and we don't just see bad people doing bad things, and that's disappointing. We see people in pain all over the place, and the pain seems so great and so complicated that we give up caring. We decide it's somebody else's job to deal with it. When, when you read the entire letter of 1 John, you find that love, the opposite of hatred, is not just a feeling, it's action. And it's helping people who are going through difficulties of any kind. It's helping people who are hurting in any way. That's what love looks like. So we can surmise what hatred would look like. It doesn't only look like aggressively attacking somebody. It could look like not caring and changing the channel. It could look like deciding, look, it's, it's just too hard. When we give up, when we walk away, when we decide it's someone else's problem, That's the moment we accidentally become friends with the darkness. It's the moment we accidentally cooperate with it, collaborate with it. See, we think we're just accepting it, but we're, we're, we're actually becoming a part of it. John says, that's not who you're called to be. It's not who... It's not who God has created you to be. And brothers and sisters, you're here this morning because it's not who you want to be. It's not who I want to be. I don't want to be somebody who, who looks at our world and gives up on it and decides that all of the people who are suffering and sorrow and in pain and sickness, they're not my problem. I don't want to decide that it's, it's some other group's job to fix all of the wrongs in the world and then I'm going to criticize how everybody else tries to do that. No. That somehow, some way, we want to be people who are filled with God's light inside of us to the point where it changes the way we live. It, it makes our lives love. Jesus calls us to this. Jesus tells us it's possible. And it's not just possible for, for some of us. I, I love how at this point in the letter, John says, look, in case you're wondering, you're wondering who I'm writing to, I'm writing to, he says, I'm writing to little children, right? I'm, I'm, I'm writing to uh, parents. I'm writing to young people. I want everybody who's gathered around these words to understand these words are for you. 
Why? Well, because you're forgiven through Jesus' name. And, and because you've known God, the one who, who created you, the one who has loved you from the very beginning. And because you have overcome, because you've conquered. This is why I'm writing to you. Because as dark as it can seem out there and in here, the light has overcome. We have to open the eyes of our hearts to see it. We have to look in those places. We have to focus on the people who are caught up in the light and are working for the light and join those people. And we have to believe that the light never comes from us. It comes through us. But it is God's light. And when light pierces the darkness, it happens now the way it has happened since the very beginning. It happens because God's the one who declares, let there be light. And we are caught up in that declaration. We get to become a part of it. It defines us. And we work with God in helping people not just hear about the light, but see it. Feel it. Be caught up in it and changed by it. We are here this morning because we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that the light has overcome and it will overcome. It's time for us to live that way. We're going to share the bread now. We're going to take time together as God's people to have a feast of light. To remember that this meal we have is our way of participating symbolically. To say, I, I want to be a part of what God is declaring. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I haven't given up. I got up this morning, I got my kids ready, and we managed to get here almost on time. I haven't given up. I have hope. I have hope for my kids. I have hope for me. I have hope for this world. It's God's hope. We fall in love with that hope over and over again. We fall in love with that light over and over again. And somehow or another, I don't understand this miracle, but at some point we stop looking at the light and we become light. We become light in the love of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, as we take this bread, we just ask that you would, would help us as little children and as parents, and as young people, to believe, to experience that we are forgiven through your son's name. That we, we know, not just know about, but we know it deep in our hearts, we know you, and we're known by you. The one who spoke us into existence and then spoke light into our lives. And God, we pray that as we take this bread, we wouldn't just think about the past, but we would think about this reality, this ongoing, unfolding present and future where you help us overcome the dark, where you, you help us fight it and struggle against it, where you bring us victory. God, help us to experience that truth as we feast together. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Would you pray with me? God, as we continue this, this feast celebrating the light and the, and the love and the life that you bring us, God, I pray that as we, as we take this, this fruit of the vine that reminds us of your lifeblood, that you would help us understand 
the connectedness that we all share. That we're all your children. That, that you love each and every one of us. And that you love the world. And that you gave your son, not just for the church, but for the world. And not to condemn the world, but to save it. To save every single person in this world, God. And we, we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of what you're doing. So God, as we open our hearts to that connectedness that we share, please, please help each one of us to see someone in our mind. To see a face. To hear a name of someone we have broken connection with and help us find a way to build a bridge. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. I think one of the, the lies the darkness tells us that we're really tempted to believe is there's not enough to go around. It's, it's constant. We have a fear that there's just not enough to go around. There's not enough time to go around. There's, there's not enough resources for everyone to have what they need. And, and it's interesting to me that that's been one of the central struggles of God's people from the very beginning. That, that the complaining that happens in the Exodus story, it's always, there's not enough. There's not enough water, there's not enough food, there's not enough direction, there's not enough leadership. Right? And all of those complaints at some level we have experienced before in our lives, and th they can often be more than just complaints. But here's what we find, starting in the story of the Exodus, is that every time God's people think there's not enough to go around, God just makes more. God makes more. And in a world where we are afraid that there's you know, there's a pie, and it can only be sliced up so many different ways, and so if you get more, it means I get less, that it's a zero-sum game. God says, would you just pray that I'd grow the pie? Stop fighting over the slices. Trust me. With me, there's always more than enough to go around. And so you have his son Jesus living that truth out when a bunch of hungry people gather together and nobody feels like they have enough to feed them. He, he tells the disciples, you take care of them. And they say, yeah, look, we, we don't have enough. Look, look around, we have nothing. And what we do have, if we share it with everybody, it'll just be gone. He says, look again, what do you have? And they have a halfway decent lunch for a couple of people. And he feeds thousands. Because with God, there's always more than enough to go around. We come to this place in our service, and I think we, we know that it's an important part of our relationship to God, to get to be a part of what God's doing. Right? God could accomplish everything without us, but God loves us too much to leave us out. So he invites us in. And it seems crazy to me that we'd say, mm, not this time. But this invitation every week is God saying, be a part of what I'm doing. And trust that there's always more than enough to go around. Trust that, that you can't give so much that I won't take care of you. We've got to believe that truth. And this is our place to act out our trust that we believe it. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for the fact that every good thing we have in our lives comes from you. And we believe that there is plenty more where that came from. We believe that in you there's always more than enough to go around. Help us believe that truth so deeply that we can be cheerful givers, God. That we can be non-anxious sharers. Believing that you are the God who provides. That you are the God who provides for us and you are often the God who provides for other people through us. God, we want to be a part of that miracle, that good work. Help us have the courage and the trust to do it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. In a moment, we will sing together again. And as we do, we'll have some shepherds and their wives just through these double doors. They're there to pray with you, to receive you, to talk with you. And so if you, you had a week uh, this week that felt like the darkness was overwhelming... We want you to experience the light of Christian community and talking with one another and praying. Uh, if you had a week where the, the light was, was everywhere and you're thankful for it and you want to share that with a shepherd couple, go and talk with them and pray with them. Whatever it is this morning, if you came in and you want to pray with someone, please go to them as together we stand and sing.